Okay, well, let's jump back to lesson number three. And we were wrapping it up Sunday, uh, last Sunday, when we were talking about demons or perverted beings. The Bible calls them spirits of darkness, which obviously would be referring to, to spiritual darkness as, in, as opposed to spiritual light, uh, revelation. The Bible says that they are unclean, uh, so they are not only wicked or dark, but they are unclean before God, which is ultimately where we all are without the, the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. You know, the Old Testament says, come now and let us reason together. Those your sins be like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow, they'll be like crimson, they will be like wool. The Bible clearly talks about us being washed. That was not a foreign concept to the Old Testament believers. In fact, it wasn't even a foreign concept to the Old Testament believers uh, to have baptism. We often think of baptism as a New Testament principle. That's an Old Testament principle. The whole concept of washing, which baptism, of course, doesn't literally wash us spiritually, but, but it, it paints a picture. It's a public profession of what has happened internally. Well, that, that is tied up in what it means to be washed and clean before the Lord, as opposed to demons, of course, being unclean beings, uh, even so much so that those are under the control of demons, uh, want to be uh, in, in impure uh, unclean places like the man in the Gadarene area who lived out in the cemetery uh, among the tombstones, a place of, of decay, a place of, of corruption. And then, of course, the Bible says, and I'm moving quickly because we, we, we kind of wrap this up at the end, they are evil. The Bible calls them evil spirits. Uh, we wrestle against hosts of wickedness, which is just a, another word for evil. And it's, it's odd, and I, I made this comment last week, that these words are missing from most modern pulpits. You don't hear words like wickedness. When was the last time you heard Joel Osteen use the word evil? Now, I know you're probably not great students of Joel Osteen, and if you aren't, kudos to you. But I guarantee you, if you've looked at any of his video footage or if you've watched him lately, you won't hear him using words like wickedness, uncleanness, evil. And yet those are, those are strong biblical terms that the Bible drips with. And so when we're talking about demon spirits, they are the personification. Now, they're real beings. We've already established that. But they are the personification of everything that is against God. So the Bible says, of course, that they are evil. And it's kind of interesting here in Matthew 12 that the Bible indicates that there are levels of evil. There are levels of wickedness. A lot of folks are surprised to discover that there are levels of punishment in hell. Just like there are levels of rewards in heaven, there are levels of punishment in hell. And there are levels of uh, evil among demons. Notice that Jesus says when an evil spirit leaves a person, that evil spirit goes out and decides, hey, I'm going back. And he goes out and finds seven other spirits more wicked than himself, implying a varying degree of wickedness and evil among demons, just like there's a varying degree of sanctification among Christians. So in heaven, although we'll all be perfected and we'll all be filled with joy and it'll be a wonderful thing, not all believers will be rewarded equally. Remember, eternal life's not a reward, it's a gift. We can't earn eternal life, but we earn rewards. Well, just like Believers will have different levels of reward based upon the level of commitment and dedication and sanctification. So demons 
will will have varying degrees of hell, which is obviously a whole other story. Now, let's go into something new here. Uh, a question that might seem a little bit out of place, but I've had many people ask me this over the years, and that is, could the devil be saved? Could the demons ever be saved? And the answer to that is no. Now, let's look at how they are incapable of repentance. First of all, in Second Peter you find that there's a special class of demons, we've talked about them already, that are probably the most wicked of all demons, so wicked that the Lord has locked them up in a place uh, called uh, Tartaros in, in the Greek. Here it's just the word hell, but it's the word Tartaros, and they will not be released until the Great Tribulation. You'll find the same discussion in Jude verse 6. So these, these demons are chained up in darkness at a place in the Greek, Tartarus. Now, what is interesting is that um, the demons know they are headed there. You remember when Jesus confronts the man in the Gadarene area that ends up revealing that he has maybe thousands of demons in him because the head demon in him says, our name is Legion because we are many. They beg Jesus not to cast them into the abyss, which is, uh, again, uh, Tartarus is what they're, they're afraid of here, or the final judgment, but they know the order of things. And so they didn't want to go to judgment. In fact, uh, one uh, passage that we read, they said, Are you, have you come to torment us before it's time? They know their destiny. They know their fate. And so uh, they begged that he would not do this. But in Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 11, I didn't put that passage up because it's so lengthy, you find that during the Great Tribulation, these very demons, not demons are out roaming around now, but these ones that have been locked up since apparently the rebellion of Lucifer in heaven, these demons will be released. And when you read the, the havoc that they bring on planet Earth once they are released, you begin to understand why then that uh, the Lord has them locked up right now. We, we wouldn't be able to have life as we know it if these demons were, were loose. Now, there are lots of demons that are loose, but not these guys. Now, here's what is interesting. They've been locked up in Tartarus for hundreds of years. Wouldn't you think if you ever got out of there, you might repent? Don't you think you might say, man, I now know what the judgment of God is like. Give me a break, God. Would you forgive me for siding with Lucifer? But the answer is no. They do not do this. The same thing is true of Satan himself. During the millennium, Satan will be bound for a thousand years. And then at the end of the millennium, he is released. And that's right before the final judgment. And it's interesting that Satan, having been bound up, in the bottomless pit where these other demons had been for hundreds of years. He's been in there a thousand years. When he comes out, what does he do? He immediately begins his old tricks again. So what this is an indicator of is that the demons and the head demon, Satan, are in the same condition that a human being will be in once they've been judged at the final judgment. There is no switching over. There is no repenting after that. And the interesting thing is, is that if you go to the book of Luke, uh, chapter 16, Jesus pulls the veil back for just a moment and allows us to see into the world that we call the world of eternity. And um, that rich man is told, you cannot change your location. 
There's a great gulf fixed. You can't pass over. Your fate is now locked. So it's very important then that we understand something that the Bible teaches, and that is that there is no second chance gospel. Now, there are many chances for the gospel while we're living. But once we have died and we have faced the judgment, there is no repentance. Though there will be plenty of repentance in hell. The rich man was repenting. He became evangelistic. He asked that uh, Abraham would send Lazarus back that he could witness to his five brothers. He didn't want them to come to hell where he was. And you remember what Abraham said? Well, they've they've got Moses and the prophets If they won't believe them, they won't believe if one comes back from the dead. What he's saying there is if they won't believe the Word of God, they won't believe miracles either. Which is also an important lesson all in and to itself. So there is no switching over. So the the, the demons, like Satan himself, are incapable of repentance. Uh, Now, the people in hell are repenting, but it's of no avail. There, There is no second chance. Just like in the days of Noah... When God locked the door to the ark. I think it's very important that you recognize that it was God who locked the door, not Noah. Because had Noah locked the door, what do you think he'd have done? Well, he'd open it. He'd hear the cries and the screams of those who were drowning. Even if they were saying, don't save us, but save our children. I mean, whose heart would not melt at that? So it was God, the Bible says, that shut him in. He couldn't open the door if he wanted to. And the door could not open until the journey was complete some 360 some odd days later, about a year later. So it's very important that we understand uh, Jesus said, I'm the one that when I open a door, no man shuts it. But when I shut a door, no man opens it. Now, again, that's the kind of stuff you don't hear preach much these days. Because God is all love. He's the white-haired grandfather upstairs who just is so loving. All you have to do is just kind of cry a few crocodile tears and he melts into a puddle on the floor. And it doesn't matter how sincere you are, how insincere, whether you change or not. It doesn't matter. He's going to forgive you anyway. We're all going to heaven after all. Uh, As Rob Bell says, love wins. So everybody gets to go to heaven which is nothing more than ancient universalism. It's, it's not biblical. But that's the kind of message that people obviously want to hear. That's the message people have wanted to hear for centuries. But we certainly want to hear it today. So there is no second chance gospel. And then here is that passage of Scripture in Luke 16, where the rich man is crying out and he's begging for water to cool his tongue. And then he's begging... Um, for uh, Lazarus to be sent to his brothers. And you remember Abraham who watches over a place called paradise. That's where Old Testament believers went when they died until the resurrection of Jesus. Now they, all believers go immediately to be with the Lord today, but not then. Because ultimately the price had not been paid for the sins of man. But, but here's this terrible thing where he is told there's a great gulf fixed. And those on your side cannot come to us. And you might add, those on my side, Abraham says, wouldn't want to go to your side. We're fi- it's fixed. And boy, that is a sobering, sobering thought. When you really let it sink in, that two seconds after you're dead, your fate is sealed for eternity. So that appears to be the state that the demons and, and Satan are in. And no amount of punishment, no amount of uh, incarceration... Changes them. They're incapable. Now, demons have a, a doctrine or what we would call a false message that they promote. 
And unfortunately, it is quite popular today. Well, hello, Don. It's good to see you, buddy. We've been missing you. I'm glad you're here. Um, they have a gospel. They have a go- Remember that James says that the demons believe and tremble. And I've often said that that's demon faith. And there are a lot of people who think they're Christians, but all they have is demon faith. Their faith is no better than demons. Because demons believe and tremble. You ask people, do you believe? Oh, yes. Oh, my. I just tremble at the thought of being crossways with God. Well, the demons believe and tremble. That's demon faith. Our faith has to go beyond demon faith. Unfortunately, their gospel teaches people, uh, you don't have to do that. Just go to church. Turn over a new leaf. Of course, remember, if you do that twice, you're right back where you started. But you just turn over a new leaf. Self-reformation. By the way, that's the story that Jesus telling of, of that man that the demon left him. And then that demon went back and found that the place was cleaned up. And Jesus said, that demon said, well, I'll just go find seven more wicked than I am. He goes and finds them. They come back and they possess that man. Now he has eight demons in him instead of one. And the Bible says his final state was worse than the beginning when he just had one demon. Now that is what self-reformation or what I would call religion will do. There's no power. Remember, they have a form of godliness, Paul says, but they deny the power. Because the power is in the gospel. Remember? Paul said in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power. It's the word, Greek word dunamis, where we get our word, English word dynamite. It is the power of God to salvation. See, it's the gospel. Well, the demons have their own gospel. They have their own gospel. What does it look like? Well, first of all, Paul warns us that... False teachers ultimately are false apostles, and they are literally pawns of these demons. And they are out there as humans promoting the demonic gospel. Now, it's very troubling when you think about the demonic gospel, but there is one. Look at how the devil lied to Eve using half-truths. You remember when he said, now did God really say that? Questioning whether or not God had said what Eve thought God had said. And then when Eve says, well, God said that we can't eat it. And then she added some or touch it. Well, that's not in the biblical record. There's nothing about touching it. Now, I can't prove that God didn't say touch it. But it's certainly in the, in the, in, in the Genesis record. wonder why Eve added that. Because she wanted it. She's wanting to touch it. So well, you can't touch it either. Remember what Scripture warns about adding to or taking away? And so you remember what the devil says? Oh, look, God's keeping something from you. Because he knows that in the day that you eat of that fruit, you will become like him, knowing good and evil. Well, that's a half-truth. God does know the difference between good and evil. But you see, unfortunately for Eve and then ultimately Adam, they knew it experientially. There's a big difference. They knew evil by becoming it. That's the difference. That's a half-truth. That's, that's Satan's gospel. It's called throughout Scripture, the lie. So anyway, Paul says they're deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. No wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, that would be human beings, 
primarily, also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So you have humans out there deceived preaching the demonic gospel. Now, what what does the demonic gospel look like? Well, here it is. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 3. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in, in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. You better know what your doctrine is. Well, what are the doctrines of the demons? Well, this is probably not an exhaustive list, but it's a pretty good start. Listen to what he says. They speak lies in hypocrisy. So those that do not tell the truth, but want you to think they're telling you the truth. Can you think of any people in Congress? Or in the state legislature that would qualify? I served with them for two terms. Was unopposed my third term. So even I could win that race. And I I walked away because I couldn't stand hearing them speak lies in hypocrisy. What that means is is they want you to think they're not lying when they're lying. They'll do just enough so they can lie to you when the truth is they were completely against what they said they were for or they were completely for what they said they were against. I've watched it happen behind the curtain so many times it made me gag, Charlie. You've seen it. You've seen it up close. Many of you have. And I just, I just couldn't, couldn't take it. Um, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. By the way, that is a scary phrase that most people don't keep in the forefront of their minds or they don't even know is there. The Bible says that you can so sear your conscience that it's scarred over like it had been branded with a hot iron. And if you've ever been around cattle when they're branded, when that brand heals, that hide is so thick there that they can't feel anything. Now, you've, you have scars on your body, no doubt. And some of those scars have, have lost sensitivity. The nerves no longer can communicate through that. Well, that's exactly what he's saying here. So if we learn to practice the hypocrite, then you will forget that you're a hypocrite. Because your conscience will be seared like with a hot iron. And then he goes on to say, what are the other doctrines? Well, forbidding to marry. Now, that doesn't just mean that somebody, a father, would say, no, daughter, you cannot marry him. What what he's talking about here is dinking around with the whole institution of marriage and the family. Messing with it. That's a demonic doctrine. Well, we've already done that nationally now. And at the time, our Republican governor, her only response was, well, that's just disappointing. Whenever the Supreme Court said, we can call marriage whatever we want to call it. Now, that's not the language they used, but that's what they meant. That's, that's what he's warning about here. Dinking around with God's institution of marriage and the family and how children are reared. And now, unfortunately, we as a culture are facing at least two, maybe three generations of kids that have been raised in broken homes and families that are blown to the wind. And now look at the harvest. These kids are godless. Do you know why the millennials, this is my opinion, you know why the millennials, I believe, are so deathly afraid of COVID when they are in the, some of the least vulnerable population? I think they're deathly afraid of it because, by and large, they're an unsaved generation. They're not ready for death. 
And you can't enjoy life until you've prepared for death. Because you'll live your whole life, as the book of Hebrews says in chapter 2, afraid of dying. Which is the problem Jesus came to remedy. And the millennials and, and the Gen Xers are, are some of the least saved generations at their age in our history as an American culture. So should it surprise any of us that they are terrified even though they're in some of the least vulnerable categories of, of COVID and what it would do to them if they got it. Now there are some people that have comorbidities and all this and they need to take precautions. But most younger folks, even if they get it, uh, many of them don't even know they have it. And if, even if they get sick, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Obviously there are the exceptions. But I think that's why they're so terrified. I talked to someone the other day who had gone shopping somewhere and he said it was a young either millennial or Gen Xer who was, was uh, serving them or at the cash register or whatever. And this person, they said, was just a nervous wreck and just constantly kept uh, squirting hand sanitizer and, and didn't know how many times they did it while they were standing there. Wonder why. They're terrified because they, they've not dealt with death. Uh, so... Uh, Forbidding to marry, messing up the family, um, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. Are you uh, uh, familiar with people who, uh, not, they don't just practice certain dietary habits. If you want to practice something because you believe it's more healthy for you, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about saying God said when God didn't say. God said. We be very, very careful when we say God said this. Boy, I, I, I hardly ever say that. And the only time I do say it is when I'm quoting Scripture. I may think God said something to me, but what if He didn't? God had some very harsh words for the Old Testament prophets that said, God said this, and God said, I didn't say that. And then when they wouldn't speak, when God had spoken. Remember that sins go, go both ways. Sins of commission, bad things we do, we commit. And sins of omission, the good things we don't do, that we omit to do. So, this is a warning here. Now, as far as the meats are concerned, uh, I've had lots of people say to me, you know, Dan, is it okay for a Christian to eat pork? Is it okay for a Christian to eat beef and all that? Yes. Notice he says, if you receive it with thanksgiving because it is sanctified uh, by prayer, he uh, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. You pray over it. Okay, so anyway, that just gives you an idea of doctrines of demons. And then, of course, uh, in 2 Timothy, uh, he, he does, uh, Paul does the same thing, warning Timothy that in the last times, uh, perilous days or times will come. Men are going to be lovers of themselves, uh, lovers of money, boasters, proud. They have a form of godliness, but denying its power. He says, turn away from these. They creep into households and make captives of gullible women. I could say men as well. Loaded down with sins. Always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. As Jannes and Jambres resisted Moses. Now remember, they were sorcerers. And could actually work demon magic to a certain level. We'll see that in the next lesson. So they were powerful. So what Paul is saying here is that these false teachers are really nothing more than preachers for the demonic gospel and are empowered with demonic power, just like Jannes and Jambres were when they stood against Moses. Pretty scary stuff. 
So they do have a gospel. And then Peter also talks about it. So it's not just Paul for those in this era that are so down on Paul. Here's Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2 talking about the same thing. False prophets among the people, false teachers among you, he says. Denying the Lord who bought them. And they're going to bring swift destruction on themselves. And then he starts talking about all of the different characteristics of these, uh, these false doctrines, of these false teachers, which are really doing nothing more than preaching the demonic doctrine that God calls the lie. And it's most emphasized, the lie, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 when it talks about the beast. And it says that those who had had the opportunity to come to Christ and didn't and are alive during that time will embrace the Antichrist and his message. And, and Paul calls it the lie. Because they chose not to believe the truth. What is the lie? What's well, all the way back in the garden? You can be like God. See, that was the lie that the devil told Eve. You can be like God. What's well, a half truth? Which makes it a whole lie. And so that's the lie. The lie is man is God. He doesn't need God. And that is our culture today, friends. That's our culture. So anyway, that's, that's a little bit about uh, the, the perversion. Now let's move to the new outline that you received today because we want we to begin to talk about the power of, of demons. And by the way, for those of you who may be new to our class or new to this series, we spent many, many weeks talking about the faithful angels. We studied them first. I don't want to ever be guilty of giving more credit and more time to the enemy than, than I do the allies. And so understand that we're not just focusing on Satan and demons here. We spent weeks studying about the holy angels that remained faithful to God and are doing ministry all around us even as we speak. Because the Bible says that they're here. Paul warned women and men... Uh, uh, indirectly that we ought to be careful what we do in church because the angels are watching. I'm paraphrasing, but it's exactly what he said. Because of the angels. Look out, he said. Do right. All right, so we're focusing on, on demons in this part of the series. Let's, let's begin to talk about their, their power. Demons or fallen angels are quite prominent in Scripture and are very active in our world today. And I think that's a very important point. They're obviously prominent in the New Testament, especially the gospel accounts. I mean, the gospels are just filled with all types of demonic activity. But a lot of people believe, well, that was then, not now. Because we don't see demonic activity like that. Really, we do. We just hide it. We hide it with all kinds of isms, all kinds of psychological, psychiatric babble. And not saying that all psychologists and psychiatrists are babbling because there is a science, a legitimate science. Unfortunately, a lot of it's based on humanism. But still, there is a science. The mind can get just as sick as the liver does. So I don't, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here. But we try to cover up the supernatural with, with scientific, so-called science, as the Bible says, scientific, humanistic explanation. So we've covered a lot of it up. There's a lot of stuff we miss these days because of the things that we do. Let me give you an example of something wonderful that we now miss because we're trying to make the patient feel better. We miss a lot of deathbed confessions. 
Do you know that a hundred years ago, people believed that the most important proof of a person's salvation were their dying words? This is why for years you had listings of people's dying last words. The family would gather around the bed and listen to their family member or close friend as they pass from this world to the next because typically at that point, you're not lying. Typically at that point, you're not trying to fool anybody. And then they'd write down this person's last words and that was the ironclad proof of their faith or lack of it thereof. We miss that today because in our effort to make people feel comfortable, we sedate them and they pass into eternity while they're out and we don't get to hear their dying testimonials. Now there's still some out there and some of you are aware of maybe some in your family who talk about seeing deceased Christians from years before, seeing angels. If we didn't sedate people uh, so much, and I realize we do it out of mercy, we're trying to make them feel better, I think we would have far more amazing stories that we just don't have today because they go out in their sleep. So we're missing a lot. Well, with demonic activity, we try to cover it up. I, I, I stand here to tell you today that there is just as much demonic activity, if not more, than there was in the days that the gospel accounts record. And we'll talk about later why the demonic activity was so pronounced uh, in the gospel period. Now, I wanted to read these passages to you because sometimes it helps to hear these, but with time running out on me here, uh, I, don't, I don't want to, to, to lose too much of our time. But this is the Mark 5 uh, account of the man that lived in the Gadarene area. And when you read these passages of Scripture and you hear things like he lived among the tombs, no one could bind him, not even with chains. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him. Shackles, he says, broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. Think about that. I mean, that's what, what we define as a modern-day monster. I made this comment before, but just imagine if you lived near that cemetery and you could hear that guy out there groaning and moaning in the cemetery and it's obvious that the people of the community knew all about him because they'd tried to tie him up, chain him up, tame him. They'd try to do everything in the world they could do because they were terrified of this man. See, we read over these passages of Scripture and we kind of don't apply them to real life. And so, we, yeah, okay, there was a, you know, a man that was possessed and he had lots of demons in him and they couldn't bind him and all that. And then Jesus cast him out and they go into the pigs. And Okay, there we got it. Let's go on. No, just imagine this guy living two, two houses down from you. Imagine how he would terrorize your community, even if he couldn't get out there and run crazy. But notice, he'd break the chains, break the shackles, and what do you think he'd do then? Run loose. Run loose. I mean, there's nothing worse than Paul Blair, Dan Fisher. running loose. Just imagine if this guy is running loose in your neighborhood. See, we read this and we, we often miss it. We don't, we don't quite get it. In Matthew 17, we have a man who brings his son to Jesus and he says he's an epileptic. Now, when you read the whole passage, you find out that the epilepsy, though probably real, was demonic in its origin. Now, that's not to say that all epilepsy is. And in this lesson, we'll see that not all illnesses are demonic. But this one was. And so Jesus casts the demon out, and the boy is healed. Right here it says, 
Bring him here to me, Jesus said. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. And notice the man had sought uh, all kinds of help. He said, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Those guys didn't have it. So I bypassed them. I went right past and over Peter's head. I'm coming to you, Lord. Oh, no problem for Jesus. And, and we, we read this, but read it and empathize for just a minute. Imagine that you're the father or the mother of this demon-possessed boy. And yeah, he has epilepsy, but it's demonic in nature. And he would go into a fit and the demon then, I think timing it, would try to get him in the fire and burn him up or have him fall into the water. Because remember, ultimately, the demons have come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Just like the head demon, Satan. So they want to kill their host, and then they'll move on to another one. People are a dime a dozen of the demons, and so we'll wipe him out, and we'll go to another one. So this is what's going on. And when we read these passages, they become so real. And then here's the story that is a little bit comical in, in Acts chapter 19 of the seven sons of a man named Sceva that decide that they're going to go out and do a few exorcisms. Now, unfortunately, these boys are kind of like the disciples. They didn't have it, meaning they didn't have the, the, holy, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when they go to this demon-possessed man, then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them. Remember, he says, well, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. Who the heck are you? And he jumps on them and notice. Uh, he overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Now listen, when somebody knocks you out of your wranglers, you have gotten a beating. <laughs> I've heard of stories where people were shot or hit and they were knocked out of their shoes or their boots. When you get beat out of your Levi's or your wranglers, you just got a beating of your life. So that's the kind of beating these guys just got. This man with these demons in him jumps on these seven brothers and beats them so brutally, he rips the clothes off of them. And they're not only naked, they're beat up. Black eyes, bloody lips, bleeding noses. I mean, just imagine, probably broken bones, stuff out of joint. So they crawl out of there, naked and wounded. Boy, when they let go of him, or when he lets go of them... They're out of there and their exorcism days are over. I'll bet you they didn't practice that ministry anymore. But you read about this and you think, my gosh. Notice the reaction of the people in that day. This became known both to the Jews and, and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. Fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. The whole town of Ephesus heard about it and they're terrified. They knew about this demon-possessed man, just like the guy in the tombstones. But my gosh, this story, he just beats them half to death. This is how real this is. And, and we, we read this sometimes, and I don't think we, we put it in modern context. We see it as Old Testament history, and, you know, that's not us, and that's different. And I'm not so sure if those guys didn't embellish a little. Well, if you believe they embellished, where does that stop? Maybe they embellished about the cross. Maybe they embellished about the empty tomb. Maybe they embellished about how to be saved. Wow. All of a sudden, now we're lost in our sins and we have no hope. Be careful about that embellished stuff. 
Now, the Bible, of course, a whole different study. In fact, it was our first series that I did when I first came here. The Bible is the most reliable record in all of human history. And you can prove conclusively that they did not embellish that when you're reading the Word of God, friend, you're reading just that, the Word of God. And it is what it is. It means what it says. It says what it means. And you don't have to have a degree from a seminary to understand a good portion of it. All you have to do is just read it and take it for what it says. Now, you do need to study to make yourself an accomplished student of the Bible, according to Scripture. But the Bible just says what it means, means what it says. Now, here's the question. We'll stop with this. Obviously, when Jesus was here then, he's encountering these demons, just left and right. You can go through the gospel accounts, and there's a demon-possessed person here and a demon-possessed person there. Thank you, Miss Lucy. Demon-possessed people all over the place. That one guy that has hundreds, thousands of demons in him called Legion that go into the pigs and all. And those are just a few examples. Why was there so much demonic activity in Jesus' day? Now, let me first pause and say, I believe personally, there's probably as much or more demonic activity today. The difference is they shroud themselves. They shroud, and we'll talk about that next week, but they shroud their activity. Paul says they appear as angels of light. This is bad PR, what you read in the gospel accounts. People foaming at the mouth and falling over and all this kind of stuff. And speaking, you know, and that, that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, that's not good advertisement. So why would they act like that? Well, because something's happened. Sonia, you're saying that that's how you sound in the mornings? Oh, oh. Now, yeah. Thanks a lot, Charlie. Appreciate that. Or maybe, guys, it's this sound. You know what that sounds like, right? Demons have a high-pitched voice sometimes, too. I mean, I'm telling you what, Pam has a driving instructor's license. I guarantee you, when I get out there in that car and we start to leave, and the lessons do not end until we get home. Then she reviews the lesson and how I failed. Okay, so let me close with this. There's going to probably be some demonic activity at my house this afternoon. Why? Why was there so much demonic activity? Well, here's the deal. The demons were created by Jesus. They were at one time faithful angels that became unfaithful. They'd been in heaven for who knows how many, there's no time in heaven, but eons. We don't know. So they, they well know Jesus. They also know that they've been judged. Remember the demon said, have you come to torment us before the time? So they know where they're headed. They tremble. James says they believe in tremble. They know. And so what happens is the Son of God who created them is now physically walking the planet. Well, it's all hands on deck. Every demon in the universe, whew, just like that. They're all over where Jesus is. Galilee, Nazareth, Jerusalem. All the demons, boom, 
Like, well, you get all the demons that exist following Jesus around like a cloud. And they're losing it. They're losing self-control. And so they're showing their hand and people, you know, foaming at the mouth and speaking in these languages and falling into the fire and all that. That's the reason. The devils knew this was their stand. If they had a chance, this was it. Now, in their mind and in their heart of hearts, they knew they didn't. Have you come to torment us before it's time? But the fight was not over. And this is why demonic activity is so pronounced in the gospel accounts. Because the Son of God, their creator, their judge, is literally walking the planet. And all the demons that ever existed, one third of the holy angels, have converged and just followed Jesus around like a, a, a band of fans would, would follow a, you know, a, a rock band or an actor or actress. Everywhere he went, I'm assuming every demon that existed was right there. And they're showing their hand because they realize their judge, their creator is here. That's why. Now I'll have to elaborate on that a little bit more next week. Uh, probably come with a couple of shiners. But I'll, I'll be able, by then, I'll be able to see like this. But I guarantee you I'm going to get You are dismissed. Let's take a break and then we'll have service.